You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. My name is Tess Regaro. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Soul Power to the People podcast. And this podcast is designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity. And the purpose is to not put blame on anything, but to shed light, shed light on what we are up against. And as we are talking, we are hoping, I am hoping that something gets sparked in you, something gets inspired in you to take action because the solution, ladies and gentlemen, is inside of us, not out there, right? So I really believe that our leaders have deeply betrayed us. And so it is up to us to break free from the puppeteers, to no longer be a puppet, and together we rise above crimes against humanity and return the soul power to the people. All right? And so now I invited Bob Half. He's got a bestseller book, Communicating to Win. You also have a very heartbreaking story that points us to mental health crisis. So the title of our show today is... How did we get here? Mental health crisis in America. And Bob has a very heartbreaking story to share. I myself went through a very dark night of the soul, a spiritual depression, but I couldn't for the life of me numb myself, drinking myself to death and numbing the pain or taking the, you know, antidepressant and stuff. I had to really go within and face my demons. It was excruciating, but this is how I got the glimpse that we can actually take back control of our life and rise above. Bob, thank you for coming onto the show. Please introduce yourself and tell us about your show. Yeah, so uh, hi, everybody. My name is Bob Taff. Uh, I'm coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland, a hot and humid Baltimore, Maryland here on this, what, 20s? 26th day of May, I think it is. As Tess said, an, an author, a speaker, a talk show host. I've been on AM radio. I just left a local AM station. I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, in September, really took my show very much like you and a streaming all kinds of ways that we can reach folks. So between LinkedIn and, and Facebook and my platform, really, it's, it's called the Bob Path Show. And Tess, one of the things you said I really agree with. Uh, and I tell people all the time, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm not telling you how to think, what to say. I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to think, uh, because the times have changed. This is a very stressful world that we're living in. I, I don't, th- I think there's something going on. Let me just put it that way. Uh, we don't know what it is yet. You know, between the pandemic and my God, now we've got the uh, cicadas everywhere. Like, what's going on? You know, every 17 years, these creatures come out of the ground. It's crazy what's going on here. So as you said, my tragedy, I'm the father of six and my oldest son, Zach, my oldest son, my oldest child died in 2019 from a drug overdose. Uh, and, and you know, nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a drug addict when I get older. I want to be an alcoholic when I get older. I want to contemplate and, and die by suicide when I get older. So 
a good segue into our conversation here is, you know, how do we get there? Zach struggled for the better part of 20 years after his mom and I divorced. Uh, his first attempt at suicide is when he was 13 years old. There were two more. And then the, the, the addiction came along and uh, lost his life in January of 2019. So what I do now, Tess, is use my platform, my voice, my book. The book was written before Zach passed away. The book is called Communicating to Win in Life, Love, and Business. And it fits into the narrative that we're talking about here today because we don't communicate very well as a people, as a country, as a society, as, as a family, as a family, you know, divorce ripped my family apart. Children carry that trauma around. You know, we're all trying to heal that inner child. So I use my platform test to raise awareness. I shared your graphic on Instagram and somebody reached out and hopefully she's tuning in. I believe her name, I apologize, but I think it's Jennifer, was saying that her fiance died by suicide. And that's the correct narrative, folks. Uh, the correct narrative is people don't commit suicide. I've done a lot of work around mental health. I shared I was in New York with Anderson Cooper a couple of years ago because his brother Carter uh, killed himself. So it's not the term, the, the proper term is not commit suicide. You know, we commit to wellness, we commit to losing weight, we commit to relationship, we don't commit to dying. We kill ourselves or we die by suicide and that's the term. So this person reached out to me and said 18 months ago, she lost her fiance to suicide. And then I shared, you know, my search. Zach didn't die by suicide. I don't believe he intended to die. It was fentanyl. It was fentanyl. It was that street fentanyl. And I've got an article right here. I can pull it up here, Tess, and show everybody. This was in the Wall Street Journal. Fentanyl woes are now gripping the Western United States. And this was just April 16th. I did a whole show on this. It was a big problem here on the East Coast, but now it's spread out West. There were other drugs that were more popular out West, but because of the drug cartels and all the drugs coming in, which again, um, gives us a lot to talk about uh, this afternoon. So right. I use my platform to raise awareness around all these things. Oh, and I am so sorry for that. We've talked about that really um, feel for you. You had to go through that. How did you bounce back from such a tragic loss? It's a great question. Um, you never really bounce back. You're always going through it. You don't go through it to any level of completion. It, there, I refer to my my life as as before Zach and after Zach. I'll never be the same. Anyone, uh, Jennifer and I were communicating. I've got a, I've got two two guys here in in Baltimore who have also lost children. My friend Harry lost a daughter, Katie, and my friend Bill lost his son, Josh. So we're now members of a club that nobody wants to belong to. Nobody, nobody wants an invitation to the, uh, the parents who have lost children club. So to your point, uh, you don't get over it. You learn how to get through it. Rose Kennedy said a long time ago, and I believe this, that, of course, look at the tragedies that the Kennedys have had. Time does not heal all things. Time allows the scars to diminish, maybe to soften over, but time does not heal all things. I will never get over my son's death. I, I will learn to live with my son's death. I'm obviously not falling apart here. It's been two years. And the other thing I think, Tess, it's important for people to know out there who've lost a child or a spouse or, or I, I feel like I am more equipped than 98% of the population that's lost a child. What do I mean by that? I'm very spiritual. I read a lot. I pray a lot. I go to church almost every day. 
Now, let me tell you, it wasn't like I found God after my son died, thought, what the hell am I going to do now? I need something. Faith was always an important part of my life. So it was always there. So when I tell you, I think I was more prepared than most because I'm, I'm well-read. I, I read 30, 40 books a year on different topics, but my faith and therapy, I've been going to therapy since my first marriage ended. I came from a broken home. My father cheated on my mother. My first wife cheated on me. So I believe in wellness. I believe in alternative medicines and traditional medicines. If you're sick and you've got a virus or you've got whatever, traditional medicine uh, has a place, but I also believe in, in, in wellness. I talk about my son as though he's part of me because he still is part of me. Uh, so again, to answer your question, long-winded answer, I apologize. You don't get over it. You learn how to live with it. But the narrative changes. You know, I'll give you an example. People will say, I'm so sorry. I know how you feel. You know, you got to be very careful, folks, when you're talking to somebody who's lost anyone. And so I say in response, I've learned to say, Tess, oh, you've lost a child too. And they say, no, but my grandmother died last month. And I say, oh, I'm so sorry. My grandmother's gone. My mother's gone. My father's gone. My brother's gone. But that's not the same. So unless you've lost a child, we're not supposed to bury our children, Tess. No. We're, no. You know, they're supposed to bury us. Mm -hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to bury our parents, not our children. When somebody says, oh, I know how you feel, I used to get not offended because they want, they're want they not trying to hurt me. They're not trying to be mean. They're trying to be nice. They don't know what to say. So I exactly, try to help people yeah. out and I just, right, I step back and I say, oh, have you lost a child? And they say, oh, no, 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 but I lost my whoever. Or, you know, some people said to me, I lost a brother or I lost a sibling. My parents never got over it. That I get, but the experience is not the same. My children, my five remaining children are also hurting. They lost a brother. I don't know what that feels like to lose a brother in the circum. My brother died when he was 54. So I, yes, I've lost a sibling and I miss him, but it's not the same as, as uh, missing a child. None of my, well, Zach had two children, but none of my living children have their own children. So unless you've gone through that experience, you really don't know what that's like. I recently lost uh, my mom too. So I know that, you know, people are, are saying to me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I, I had to tell them what I needed to hear yes, from yes. them. That's right. To help me. Otherwise, condolences and sympathies wasn't doing much. It was actually dragging me down um, even more. And wow. I appreciate what you said, the, that we are prepared for the grief, but not really. But at the Correct. same time, there, you know, we're not, our energy did not collapse. Um, you're not falling apart. Um, right. You're not on drugs. You're That's right. You're not committed to suicide. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I do. Yeah. how I lost my mother and how you lost your son, totally different. Yeah. To, to lose a yeah. son, I, I I can't imagine. Right. And I'm, and I'm sorry, you know, about your mom. You're so, and, I, and you know what? And thank you for saying the takeaway I'm getting from what you just said to me, Tess, is, you know, we train people how to treat us and, and we don't. And part of my book my book, Communicating to Win and Life, Love, and Business, uh, is a memoir. We don't communicate very well, and there are reasons. Page three, because obviously I know this by heart, 
There's a fear diagram on there. We spend so much of our lives, I mean, talking about soul searching and being, you know, soulful, we spend so much of our lives living in fear. And fear of what? Rejection, confrontation, embarrassment, success. People aren't afraid of failure. We fail all the time. We fail every day. You know, I'm on a diet and I shouldn't have eaten the cupcake, but I ate it. So is that a failure? In some minor form, yes. But success is hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard. We get stuck in patterns that we know tests and it's hard to break those patterns. I'm there right now, I'll tell you, and I work with energy healers and I work with, again, I'm close to some members of the clergy and trying to figure all this out. My youngest child's about to go off to college. I'm single. I've been single now for almost 12 years. I don't really see my future in Baltimore. I see myself more on a global stage, helping more people, but I've got to let go of what has anchored me here. And what's anchored me here, I have a son who lives in, in Denver and Zach's gone and four boys and two girls. I have a son that goes to school in Rhode Island. I have a daughter that's about to go to school in Pennsylvania. So they don't need me in the same way anymore. And so I'm freed up. I really think I have a calling to help more people as, as you do. We live so much of our lives in fear. We're afraid of what people say. We're afraid of what people would think. What are the neighbors going to say? You know, I got a call the other day that somebody was complaining that my grass was too long. Okay, well, you know what I mean? So, hey, buddy, that's your problem. I cut it every two weeks. I'm not going to cut it anymore. That's your problem. Get over it. You know, this guy or girl is up the street. So we worry about nonsense, Tess. We worry about bullshit. If I can say bullshit on your show. Yes, you can say anything. And we take that on. We take that on to our persona and our identity. We shrivel up and we never really live or speak our truth. And that's what your show's about. And that's what I'm about is being authentic, being transparent, being humble and saying, I lived through this. I survived, but it hurt like shit. It It hurt hurt like like hell. Kick my ass, right? And like some mornings, I don't want to get out of bed. Some are better than others. Some are worse than others. And how do you deal with that? How do you how do you treat that? You know, if you do it three, four days in a row, you might have a problem. If you wake up on Tuesday morning and say, oh, it's raining and it's cloudy and I don't feel like getting out of bed right now, that's okay. Be kind to yourself. And that's what I would encourage your listeners and, and our viewers who are going to see this to do. Be kind to yourself. Beware of the triggers. Again, if you're still sleeping a week later, you're not getting out of bed until noon. Uh, and you're this and that, and, and you're growing a beard, and you're not eating, and you're doing crazy things, then you've got something to worry about. Like you said, I don't have an addictive personality. Well, let me let me back that up. I probably have gained 40 pounds since Zach died because food became my comfort. Macaroni and cheese, you know, comfort food. Thinking back, what did my mother make? What did my grandmother make? What are those things? You know, just like pets. Food, it gives us unconditional love, doesn't it? It doesn't say, don't eat me. It says, here I am. You know, don't eat just two chips. Eat the whole bag, right? And it's there for us. And so it's that. And that's me. I'm not, I enjoy a good cocktail, but I'm not, alcohol is not a problem for me. Um, I'm not a drug person. I don't, I jokingly say, I don't even like roller coasters. So I certainly couldn't do drugs. I don't have an addictive personality other than maybe eating too much. And I don't limit myself to whatever, you know, I eat whatever I want. I just can't eat as much of it anymore. You see, but, we, we, but we've got to be aware of these triggers, Tess. We've got to be aware of these things that set us off. And we've got to be in tune to why. You know, what is it? 
Remember I told you about, you know, I had my palm red and the energy from this person. I tell you, and the question she was asking me were, I was like, what, what, why would you need to know that? If you're just reading my palm, um, it was a little bizarre. And my intuition, my voices were screaming. They were screaming, Bob, just get the hell out. Just get up and walk out. And I didn't do it. And so I spent, and then my account gets hacked. So maybe it was this person, maybe it wasn't, who knows? I'll never know. It's not like if you get the account back, it's not like they catch the hackers and they bring them to a court of public opinion and, and you can flag them or flog them. I'll never know who it was. You can't spend time on things that you can't control because that is, as therapists like to say, crazy making. It's crazy making to say, well, I wonder if it was this. I wonder if it was that. Why did they do this? Why did they do that? Mm-hmm. It, it really does you no good. But you got to get to a point where you understand that. So um, I like where you're going there. I went back to a time when I saw myself as harsh to myself and I wasn't that way before or it wasn't that amplified that finally I could hear myself and I could hear many voices inside my head and I couldn't I couldn't think of anything anymore it's just I was possessed by all these multiple personalities multiple voices in my head I was self-aware enough to see what was going on and that every thought would contribute to the spiral down, to depression, yes, to yes. apathy, to being really bitchy and rage. There was so much rage. And I couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore. There was a time I had to wear headsets because I couldn't listen to myself anymore, especially when I was already thinking, let's go to Home Depot and look at ropes and I'm like whoa wait a minute where are you going with this so I listened to spiritual mentors Marin Williamson Wayne Dyer love Love Wayne Dyer yes yeah 24 7 while sleeping while having sex while working (laughs) seriously because I couldn't trust myself to think I love that (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah you go girl you go you go you go <laughs> no, I was not myself anymore. And I was aware of it. I was aware of the split personality. Yes. And multiple personalities. Yes. And that's why I got into the work that I'm doing. How do you gather up all those many pieces yes. and make them reconcile and make them cohesive, congruent, yes. and aligned as one? It yeah. was. Yeah. You know, I, I went to hell and back to talk about this, that yes, mental right. health is such an important subject. So That's how right. did we get here, Bob? How did we get here? You know what I think it is? And and um, great, great segue. And I absolutely agree with you. You mentioned Dark Knight of the Soul, one of my favorite books. Um, you you mentioned because it's, it's worth repeating. And then I'll tell you how I think we got here. What I love about what you just said, because I I 100% agree with it, and I'm cut from that same cloth, bad things are going to happen to everybody. You know, um, Rabbi, is it Harvey Kushner, Harry Kushner, whatever, wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You know, shit happens. Bad things happen to us. But what do we do about that? You can turn to heroin. You can turn to uh, vodka. Or you can, and you did it, and I did it. You know, you seek out Wayne Dyer, you seek out Marion Williamson, who I think is terrific. I sat down and read four four or five of her books in the course of a weekend. I'm going to admit to you, 
Marion, if you're listening, no offense here. I didn't have a clue who she was. I knew she was some woman who I thought was maybe a little kooky who was running for president because, you know, that was a whole different platform. I, she's not a politician, not a politician. So I was like, who is this woman? And then I just sort of fell in love with her. I love the message. Joe Dispenza is another one because I do I, yes. I do a lot. Dr. Joe Dispenza, I do a lot around energy healing and uh, and, and Dispenza talks about abundance, not money. You know, it's the freedom to do what we want, when we want, as much as we want, with who we want. And I love that message. How did we get here? We got here from my perspective. I'm 60 years old. And so I share my experiences. I am not here to tell you you're wrong how you think. And this is part of, we should do a show on, on relationships because I do a lot of work around relationships. Nobody's wrong. You might be wrong for each other, but you're not wrong. So it's about compatibility. It's about finding that person. It's about, you know, um, fitting uh, in together. So how did, how did we get here? A number of reasons, a number of ways. First of all, the breakdown of the family has been a huge contributor to where we are. When you look at, and I'll pick Baltimore City as an example, I think the numbers as high as 80% of children growing up in Baltimore City are growing up in a fatherless home. And so that has an impact. I'm, I was raised by a single mom. My dad had an affair with my mother's best friend, left when I was 10 years old. So I was running the streets of Baltimore as a latchkey kid before anybody knew what it was. And I say that to you. Because people look at me, they look at the fireplace in the background and they say, what the hell does this guy know about struggle? I get it. You know, people are going to size you up and they're going to whatever. But they, you, know, you don't know. I was molested by a priest when I was 16 years old. I, you know, my first wife cheated on me. I've been through bankruptcy. I've lost my home. I've lost everything. I've had high highs and low lows. What I do, though, Tess, is I share these experiences so people can look at a guy like me or a gal like you and say, well, there's hope for me yet. There's hope for me yet. And what you and I try to do, if, if this show reaches one person, if Jennifer's watching and it gives one person hope to go another day, then we've done our job. And that's what it's about. So there are a lot of things. Uh, how did we get here? I, I think um, the breakdown of the family is a big part of it. I think, you know, Reagan shut down all the mental hospitals. And so uh, Big Pharma has contributed to it. Capitalism, which I'm all for, I, I identify myself as a moderate Republican, I support business, but I do believe there are people that live on the fringes of society and they're going to need our help. Can you give everybody, can you give everything away? You cannot do that. The numbers don't support it. This country's carrying tremendous debt. So you can't do that. You've got to find another way about it. But if you look at all the mass shootings, I think with the exception of one, this last one, uh, and the, I can't even remember them all. There have been so many and they happen so frequently, people don't realize it. They've all been young males and they've all been people who are dealing with had mental health crises. I think the, the young man who was uh, had a Syrian background had been hospitalized, you know, was able to get a gun, was able to get a, a assault rifles and the assault weapons. Wow. But overall, I would say it's the breakdown of the family. We the number one and I wrote it down here, Tess, because I wanted to make sure that we told everybody this. The number one public health crisis in America is mental health. It's mental health because, and I'm going to go back to the beginning. My son didn't grow up. My son was a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal athlete. Um, he didn't grow up wanting to be addicted. And I think people will use things to cope. We'll use drugs. We'll use alcohol. We'll use sex. We'll use shopping. We'll use all of these things to cope with our demons, to cope with people. My son had, uh, his mom had an affair. And so 
it, it, it's difficult sometimes to deal with the stresses in our lives, which we all have. And how do we deal with those things? And some people make poor choices. One of the things that I'm calling for, and I, and I want to do this, I want to put, we have, a, we have a foundation that's set up in Zach's Honors, so we support people that are struggling with addiction. But I want to create a mental health outlet. I think, Tess, that just like an annual screening, I don't care if it's colon cancer or breast cancer or prostate cancer, or you're going for an annual checkup, why don't we do mental health screenings? How easy would it be starting at the age, you know, I'm all over the place, but you've, you've hit my hot button here. And so I'm very passionate about this. and I'm on my soapbox. The, the second leading cause of death between kids 10 and 24 is suicide. Right. It's the second leading cause of death in America. That tells me that there's a problem. It should tell everybody that there's a problem. It should tell Washington, D.C. It should tell Omaha, Nebraska. It should tell Annapolis, Maryland. It should tell Albany, New York. It should tell everybody that there's a crisis in America that we're not doing enough about. Now, why aren't we doing enough about it? Big Pharma, you've got a lot. You've got a lot of venture capitalists. Scott Gottlieb, who I don't know Mr. Gottlieb, Dr. Gottlieb, but, you know, I know he's a venture capitalist. A lot of these people, I don't know Dr. Fauci's investment portfolio, but when you look at a lot of these people tests, you will see that they're heavily invested in big pharma, heavily invested in big pharma. Okay. I've said this for a long time. You know how much money it's been raised to, to, to discover for the, the cure for cancer? But trillions of dollars. The money is in the maintenance and the treatment, not in the cure. And so what would happen if suddenly mental health, uh, mental illness went away and people were functioning at a higher level? Think of all the cottage industries and bigger tests that are that are associated with drugs and mental illness and wellness and all that kind of stuff. So my son went through rehab twice. The average cost is thirty to forty thousand dollars a month, a month, a month. And the rate of recidivism, the rate of return, the rate of failure is is in the 90 plus percentile. It's a racket. It's a money. It doesn't grab. work then. Oh my God. Right? You test, you can't, you can't fix anybody or cure. It's not even a good detox. You can't get anything out of anybody's system in 28 days. You know, drugs and alcohol alter brain chemistry. They're diseases. And so where else can you go for forty thousand forty thousand dollars and you do some yoga and you start eating yogurt and you do meditation and you're cured? No, you're not. You're not. And that's why they know that these people will be back. It's a revolving door. And why is it a revolving door? Because the money, think about the money, think about the drug cartels. We need to do a better job in this country. Uh, and I don't know who these politicians are. I haven't seen one. If you know one, I'm a fan of Ben Sass. He's out there in Nebraska. I've met Ben Sass. I've got his two books. I like his background, former college president. He's a good guy. And I gave him my book, by the way. He was here in Washington, D.C., speaking at the National Press Club a couple of years ago, and I had a chance to meet him. But we've got career politicians. Joe Biden's been a politician for 50 years. We've got Dianne Feinstein, who's 87 years old. We've got Nancy Pelosi. We've got Mitch O'Connell in Kentucky. We've got all these people that have been in the system for way too long. Why does an 87-year-old still need a job? I don't get it. She's worth $80 million. The system is broken. It's broken, but it just we just keep doing the same old shit over and over. And Einstein tells us that's the definition of insanity. insanity. Yeah. But we keep doing it over and over and over. And guess what, Tess? The problems are getting worse. You know, I yes. made some notes here. 
The year yep. Zach died, there were about 70,000 drug overdoses. That was 2019, fatal overdoses. You can overdose and, and with Narcan and whatever they brought, they brought back. In 2020, that number rose to 81,000. We're, we're not getting better. We're getting worse. We're getting worse. The question is, and if you look at it in medical terms, you can either be at the end of the river pulling the babies out that are floating down the river, the dead babies, whatever, give you a horrible graphic, or you can be at the top of the river figuring out why they're being thrown in, what's happening. And we're always putting a Band-Aid on the problems. We're never really dealing with the diagnosis. We're treating the symptoms. We're putting Band-Aids on symptoms instead of dealing with the diagnosis. I've had doctors on my show. I've had politicians on my show. I've had government officials on my show. I had the drug czar. Steve Shue is his name, a former Bolt, uh, county executive here in Maryland, a politician. And the current governor, Larry Hogan, appointed uh, Steve Shue as the drug czar in Maryland because it's a big problem here. Montana, I think, is, has a huge meth problem. So if you get areas, Hanover, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is one of the top three, I think, states for drugs. Because, I mean, you get people that are isolated, people that are depressed. This, this, this pandemic kicked people's ass. I mean, we could do a whole show on that, right? And right. Even, even the nerds, even the introverts who were happy to stay home and to Zoom their lives away said, enough's enough. I'm pulling, I'm pulling my hair out. You know, we, we are social creatures, Tess, and we need interaction. We need love. We need that stimulation. We need tactile. We need to touch people. We need to look at them. We need to smile. You know, you put a mask on and it covers three quarters of your face. And I've stood next to my neighbors in a grocery store and not even knew who they were. We're removing our identity, which then goes to the soul. And your, soul, your show is all about feeding the soul. But once you remove somebody's identity, the soul's next. You're tapping into that. You're draining that. And people are walking around like, I'm not going to drop zombies. the F-bomb, but pretend I did. They're walking around like effing zombies. They're walking around on autopilot. They are. They're drugged up. They're, they're alcoholed up. They're whatever it up. And they're depressed and they're sad. And for some people, they don't even know why they're sad. They don't even know why they're sad. And I've had those days. I define it as profound sadness at times, like when this cloud comes over you, we all have those days. For those of us who were able to get through it and identify that, and that's what people need to do. My friends listening, following here, whatever you're watching me, don't suffer in silence. You're not alone. People are going through that. I don't care how much money they have, what they drive, where they live. A lot of people are trying to fill that hole. So they buy more houses, they buy boats, they buy cars, they buy stuff to fill that gap. But unless you get into the soul, unless you get into the psyche, you're going to keep doing the same shit over and over again. Tess, you know that you're going to, again, go back to Einstein. Unless you fix it, it will reoccur. It will come up and it will knock on your door and it'll say, hey, Tess, remember that. I'm going to send it to you again because you didn't fix it. Right. You didn't fix it, Tess. You're not dealing with this. So I'm going to throw it at you again. I'm going to. I believe, Tess, that what happened to me on Saturday with this palm reader, fortune teller, was I'm very intuitive. I, I've always been very, very intuitive. And, and actually, this young lady even told me I was intuitive, but I didn't listen to my intuition. So I walked away and it's like, Bob, God was sending you a message. She told you you were intuitive. You know you're intuitive. And your intuition was going off like radar, like, like whatever. And you ignored it. You ignored. My voices told me, like you were talking about the voices, uh, get up and leave. Get up. I tell people all the time, if you don't like the energy, just get up and leave. Say, you know what? And it's okay. Here's what we need to do. Here's the narrative. 
say, I'm not feeling this. This doesn't work for me. I'm very uncomfortable. What you don't want to say to somebody is you don't do this. You don't do that. Why do you, you know, you're don't confront yeah. people because that's where the conflict yeah. starts. Yeah. Own your it's got to be about you. Mm-hmm. It's got to be, I'm not feeling this. I'm not feeling good. I don't feel, I don't feel good when I'm around you. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because nobody can take your feelings away from you, Tess. They're ours. Yeah. They're ours. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. We don't exercise that control. Why don't we? Fear of confrontation. So if I say to Tess, oh, Tess, you know, um, I'm not really feeling this. Or oh, why are you picking on me? like right? And then you're going to come back and it's like, oh, my God, I can't handle the confrontation. So what do we do? We suck it up. Right. We suck it up. Or maybe what we do, this is water, flavored water, whatever. But maybe we draw, drive a, a, grab a bottle of vodka. Maybe yeah. we grab that, that marijuana. Uh, you know, I don't know what your, what your, what your addiction of choice is, but. Food like you. What, what's that? <laughs> Food like you. See, see, but yeah. so, so because we don't deal with those things. Now, as I told you, I had it, I hit the wall and I was like, this is not me. I mean, I, I need, I need to feel energized. I need to feel, I, I know this is not me and it was time. I, I didn't beat myself up for gaining the weight. Listen, it could have been worse. It could have been, uh, it could have been heroin. It could have been alcohol. It could have been a lot of things. And it wasn't, I'll take a big old plate of macaroni and cheese over a, a shot of heroin or, or alcohol any given day. So I feel fortunate in, 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 in that it, there, there are no politicians that inspire me. I will tell you, I do like Senator Sass. I like what he has to say. I, I love the way he writes and the way he speaks. He talks about it. We're so angry at each other. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the title of one of his books. Oh, geez. Why we, it, it, but it's literally like why we hate each other, why we can't get along. And what's happening is, what's happening is mainstream media is pitting us against one another. Exactly. It's no longer okay for me to have an opinion that differs with you. I've got to hate you. I've got to rip your head off. I've got to censor you. I've got to block you. I've got to do this. I've got to destroy you. Mm-hmm. No longer can we just say, and, and in my opinion, I'll tell you my opinion. It's interesting. If you watch Fox and you watch CNN, they'll throw different words in there. I'm a wordsmith. So you can spin the narrative to suit your audience. Let's just, I mean, I go back to the days of Walter Cronkite because I'm old and I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but you know, these people become celebrities. They, they make millions and millions and millions of dollars to do what the corporations tell them to do. They're hired guns. They just read the news. I mean, I know I've been there, I've done that. But I used to be, I, I used to get upset and I went to college to be a news anchor. And it, at 25, when it wasn't going to work out for me because my first wife wasn't willing to relocate to a small market, I was really bummed out. I thought, oh my God, I really want to do that. Now, looking back, I'm glad I didn't do that. At the time, it was devastating for me. I can read from a teleprompter all day long, and I can do an ear prompter and all those things. But I'm really more about, I'm a humanitarian. I mean, I, I, I want to raise this platform. I want to raise money. I want to do something around mental health because around mental health, the umbrella of mental health is addiction, is suicide, is depression. It's all those things that are under that umbrella. Look at domestic violence. I mean, it's up. Violence for divorce are up. Obviously, the pandemic brought people together to say, you know what? I hate you and I've hated you for the last five years, but at least I could go to work every day. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you wake up, you put your fuzzy slippers on, uh, you put a shirt on. Maybe you, don't, maybe you don't have pants on below the waist because nobody can see you. I do, by the way. So don't worry. But, maybe, but you know, 
you, you, you used to be able to escape that. Now with the pandemic, I was walking today and I was amazed at how many people, 75, 80 degrees, hot and humid, sunny here, were still wearing their masks. I was not wearing a mask. I was, you know, I was struggling to breathe. And I've had COVID. I was in the hospital for a week. I had it. Knock on wood, fine now. But I had it and double pneumonia. And I think it was the double pneumonia that kicked my ass more than COVID. You know, this was back in February. But we've become so manipulated. We buy in. I don't even watch the news anymore because I can't. Mm -hmm. It's so depressing. You know, they're trying to create the narrative, shove it down your throat, get you to think this way or that way. This person's bad. This person's good. It's gotten to that point. Good, bad, evil, you know, whatever. I don't even know who's running the country. You never, you don't see Biden. You really don't see him. So maybe he's in the basement of the White House. I know, like he was in the basement of his house in Wilmington or wherever, but it's very interesting. So you, you got these extremes, you know, you had Trump who was bombastic and people love him and that's great, but, but he had a bombastic personality. He, he at times, what he said was absolutely inappropriate. doesn't matter your politics. Inappropriate's inappropriate. doesn't matter your religion. doesn't matter. What's wrong is wrong. What's right is right. But we've gone from one extreme to the other. And, and people will say, you know, they'll make the arguments. People support that. Well, it's a calm period now. No, it's not. I mean, when you look at Ronald Reagan was the oldest elected president when he got elected the first time. Tess, he was 69 years old. Biden's 79 years old. And he's talking about a second term. And this is not a political show, but I'm making a point here. He's talking about running a second term. He'd be 82. I'm sorry, the stamina, the mental capacity, all this kind of stuff. We need real leadership. We need real leadership at the state level, the city level, and the federal levels to get back to this instead of all the vitriol just pissing people off and stirring them up and let's go burn down a building or let's go do this and let's do that. What's wrong is yeah. wrong. Listen, why does it have to be Democratic Republican? What's wrong is wrong. And that's mm -hmm. not the expression that we need to be doing and it fires people up. Well, yeah, you've identified several crimes against humanity <laughs> there, right? And you also mentioned the key component that creates that source of sadness, source of depression, source yes. of, and it's the disconnection with our soul. Yes, and they're yes. really trying very hard to poison our soul. And yes, I'm not yes. going to allow them Don't to Don't sugarcoat it, right? I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. Um, it's so funny because people will say, and I love this and I smile and they'll say, Oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And I will say to people, can you be both? Like, I think I'm both. I'm a very spiritual guy. I, like you said, so Wayne Dyer and everybody else that you mentioned, I tend to go more with the existentialist with the spiritual people like the Marion Williamson's Tony Robbins has done a lot of great things for a lot of people and inspires people, whatever. That's really not my shtick. Is, is all the fire and brimstone sort of stuff. I need somebody that speaks to and connects to my soul yes. as, as Dyer. You know, there's a vacuum in the market now. A lot of those great, and, and, and Wayne Dyer had his own demons and, you know, went through a whole life of dealing with things. And, and it's that transparency and that's vulner, that, that vulnerability that we, you know, that we need to get to. It's unconscionable to me. I'm an empath, clearly. You probably figured that out. And at times I just need a break from it. But I also feel compelled <laughs> to speak out about it. I feel very compelled, right, to speak out about it. I yeah. really, you know, one of the things I want to do is have this fabulous place. The beach soothes my soul. I'm a cancer, so water and the beach. And a lot of people, I love it when people say, you know, it's my happy place. Well, yeah, it's a happy place for millions and millions of people. 
to create some kind of retreat, to, to create an environment where people can really get in touch with their thoughts. We're carrying around a lot of shit. We really are. We, we are absolutely still trying to heal that childhood trauma. We are all walking around broken. My friend, Pastor Ray, and when you post this on Facebook, you can tag Pastor Ray Pollitt, P-O-E-L-L-O-T. Pastor Ray works with the homeless people here in Baltimore, and he's been on my show. He talks about brokenness. We are all broken to some extent. Some are broken more than others, but we're all broken. And we are all really, you know, I was, I was reading or listening to some videos and this guy was talking about walking around with these childhood traumas. And he said, even in the best families, there's still trauma. Let me give an example. So you've got a family, let's say they're wealthy and kids get whatever they want. So there's that overindulgence. There's, there's a great book I'm reading called uh, The Gift of Failure, letting kids fail, letting them stand up, letting them get back up. But imagine if you're a little kid and you're waiting for your mom or dad, and you're there on the bus stop or you're after school and they're running late. You can process that and feel neglected, feel abandoned, all those things that we take on depending who that person is, right? Oh, you don't care? Hey, dad, mom, um, uh, Susie, I asked you to pick me up at 3.30. You got here at 4.30. Don't I matter? And you might not say that to the person because if you're 10, you're not going to have that conversation. You're not articulate enough to do that. You don't know what's going on. But somewhere, uh, somewhere along the line, maybe you felt wounded about that. Did they forget me? Yeah. I mean, I, I know with my own kids, my daughter, my daughter's my youngest, so I'm very close to her. And, and if I'm running late and I'm usually always early, not even on time early, and she'll be like, dad, 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 you know, if it's five or 10 minutes later, and she's 19 years old, but it's that, that anxiety that's created that if you didn't show up, if you didn't call, if you didn't respond, think about if we send somebody a text message or whatever, and they don't respond immediately. And I'm a big texter. How do we start feeling? We start feeling neglected, ignored, abandoned, uh, invalidated. Validation is a huge thing, and I've had to deal with it myself. Look at look at everything I've done for you, and you can't even acknowledge what I've done for you. That's all about validation. But what we need to do, Tess, is we need to be strong within ourselves. We need to validate our self-worth. I don't know about you. I get up in the morning, and I've started doing this of late, and I don't do it every morning. I look in the mirror and say, Bob, you're a good guy. You're talented, you're smart, you're this, you're that, or whatever it's that, right? It's that positive reinforcement because, Tess, you can go days or weeks or months and not hear it. You cannot hear it from those, those who are closest to you, those you love the most, because we're taking, oh, dad's always there, or mom's always there, or yes, this always happens. But just to throw a bone, The Five Love Languages is one of my favorite books, and I encourage people to read that. And my book as well, because it's a it's a memoir. I'm not plugging the book, but I'm plugging the book because yeah. I tell people, get in touch with what do I need in this relationship, be it business or personal. And my book is life, love, uh, you know, life, love and business. What do I need to make this work? What do I need to make it work? Because if my number one is your number five, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have conflict. And then we go back to the conflict, the confrontation, all those things like that. And that's where the spiraling starts. Look at marriages, Tess. It's, it's predicted that at least 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 63% of second marriages, and 74% of third marriages end in divorce. So we, do, we, we, we get worse. We don't get better because we jump into things. We jump into the next one for whatever the reasons are. Fill the gap, fill the hole, fill that need, fill that void. Instead of saying, let me take a break here. I, I just told you I've been single for 12 years. I didn't date yeah. for two years after my second marriage ended because I needed to figure out 
what happened and get to know me and getting to know for your listeners and your viewers, getting to know yourself is painful. It's difficult. It, it can be lonely. Mm -hmm. um, and most people aren't willing to do that. And then maybe return to the bottle, return to the drugs or return right. to whatever it is that we turn to. So we got to do more. We got to do better. And uh, you mentioned Tony Robbins earlier and I, uh, yeah. I, I am certified strategic intervention program, Fantastic. Tony Robbins, and he has the six human needs psychology, which is okay. the basis. Okay. And you have to really look at, are you in this relationship because you're meeting your need for safety, your yeah, need yeah. for variety, excitement, desire, yeah, yeah. you know, the need for significance, a lot of that, right? A need for yeah. love and connection. And he has a saying that says, we settle co for connection because love is too scary. I love so that. We, and so there's other uh, two needs, which is the need for growth and contribution. That's right. That's right. And so if we are settling ourselves just to meet those, for example, if I, uh, you talked about um, first marriage, second marriage, my second marriage, even though I didn't date for the first seven years uh, after my first, you okay. know, I, was, I was just zoomed in on the kids. I didn't want any distraction. I just want to, uh, but then they, they asked for a father. <laughs> I wanted my no, daughter okay. growing at school. You know, I want someone to teach me how to fish, how to teach me a language. I'm like, Jesus. Okay, find me a man. <laughs> wow, uh, did you put that out to the universe? Were you I manifesting didn't that it. man, that second marriage? Wow. Uh, but anyway, the second marriage was actually a disaster because okay. everything that was dormant in me, all the sadness. When my first husband, when my first marriage fell apart, I became yeah, yeah. the superwoman, right? Yes, I was yeah. a single mom, masculine energy provider. Yes. Second husband come along and I turned into this, this needy, oh, uh, like, who are you? I don't really? like Really? Yeah. It, everything. You talked about the abandonment issue. I didn't yeah, know that yeah. I felt abandoned by my first husband. Yeah, I yeah. thought I chose that. I kicked him to the curve. He tried to kidnap my kids. Uh-uh, you're not allowed in my life anymore. Right? Yeah. But then there wow. was all that abandonment hurt that my mm -hmm. second second husband mirrored back to me. And I'm like, oh, I don't like you because I don't like myself. I don't like feeling this needy and wanting you to please pay attention to me. Why are you not coming home on time? Oh my God. It's like, where did the superwoman go? So the, wow. do, you, do you see the spiral of one? I, 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 lost, I lost my self-esteem. I lost my self-confidence. I lost how I, I saw that, that self-concept the chip on my shoulder, I lost sure. all that. It really humbled me into, <laughs> I'm nothing. <laughs> I'm all about wholeness. Yes, and we're yeah. doing this show because, yes, we have been broken. But I believe we keep experiencing that. And you said that yourself. Yes. So that we discover, we return to wholeness, we return to soul power. So That's yes, true. there's brokenness that we experienced, yeah. but we are not broken. And I'm going to say that it's my show. <laughs> soul power, 
do not identify with the brokenness because you are not broken. You are the face of God. You are the hands and face of God. And yeah, God yeah. cannot be God without your hands, Bob. Yeah. So how can God? <laughs> yeah. You have to be whole to receive that, to be able to speak your message to the world. Yeah. So yeah. that is just something that we project because we experienced it, but we are not our behavior. We are not our experiences that is just something that we experience and we need to be yeah. able to detach from those and reclaim our wholeness. So that's my gift for all the Well, listeners. we struggle. We struggle a lot of people to find that wholeness, Tess. A lot of people, you know, this is dark territory. I mean, you, Dark Night of the Soul is one of my favorite books. And when you're there, listen, the growth is in the valleys, not in the peaks. And so it's when you're there and you're in those places, I, I think, you know, did I think I would be where I am doing what I'm doing at this point in my life, no. Mm -mm. Am I doing really good stuff? Am I impact? Am I, am I, you know, I've often said that if God had taken me yesterday or I never say today or tomorrow, I have to get through those. But if he had taken me yesterday, would I be okay with that? And somebody was telling me, you've yet to see the Brinks truck, you know, uh, following the hearse to the cemetery because we're not taking that with us. So what are people going to say? Like Emilda Marcos, you're talking about the, the Philippines. You know, people, are, they, they do talk about our shoe collection or whatever, but you certainly want to be known more for the substance and what you left. And, oh, he was a good father. And I've often said that if I was taken sooner rather than later, my book was good work. My six kids know that I love them. I was devoted to them. I've coached just about every sport but lacrosse. And I've been there for them and I put them first. See, I vowed when my father left that I, when I became a father, I was going to be the father that he never was. I was going to be the father that I wanted, and I am. I am. Am I perfect? Have I done everything? No. You know, our emotions get to us, and just and whatever. We're human. We're human, and we have. You know, we 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 as as human beings, we're going to fall down. But overall, but I think that struggle is to find that wholeness that you talked about within ourselves, instead of looking for that affirmation from outside. You know, like you said, your second husband to why don't you do this? Because when you don't do that, I feel this way. Or when you do that, I feel a certain way. But it's you. You've got to you've got to stop and say, and I, I told you, it's been almost 12 years for me doing the work that you've got to figure out what it is that you need to get to where you need to go. So what's the bigger purpose? Right. Right. Yep. So let's uh, tie it. How are we going to return the soul power to the people? How, what What's the way out? You have a mental health foundation that you're thinking of uh, starting. Well, we, well, well. so I want to do that. There is a foundation. It's called the Zachary T. Path Foundation that my son Taylor has set up. And he runs that. So that's his baby. He and his cousin run that. And they use the proceeds from the foundation. He does golf tournaments and does other events. And they use that to support people that are struggling with addiction. So if you go into a treatment facility and you can't pay, it's basically their, their money's there that they will do that. So that's his thing. It has my name on it because, you know, I'm the patriarch of the family. But other than that, I'm not involved on a daily basis. What I want to do, one thing I want to do is I want to create a scholarship at, where the, at the high school where Zach went to high school because he loved that school. But I really want to... I want to create this uh, foundation or this wellness center. Kind of think about it in terms of like the St. Jude's Hospital for Children. I've heard different things. You know, the commercials say that nobody ever pays anything. And I've heard that's not true. 
you know, I've heard nobody's turned away, but I wanted to create something like that. Part of it can be government funding. A lot of it can be private monies. You've got a lot of extremely wealthy. I mean, I think there, there are billionaires being created more and more of them every single day. And if we use some of those resources, and not to say some of those people don't, I mean, I think, what's his name? Uh, Bezos from Amazon is worth almost $200 billion now. Well, you know, and in a hundred lifetimes, he couldn't spend that money, although he's trying, you know, with some of these houses and some boats and all this kind of stuff. But there's so much more I think we can do if we tap into that. What we're doing is not working. Nobody's been able to convince me that it's working. I mean, I think shame on the politicians, shame on, I'm not going to name any of them. I've, I've mentioned names, but I don't choose sides. It's not about sides, but shame on anybody that's creating divisiveness. Shame on anybody who's creating and supporting violence. I mean, and all these other things that, have, that we've seen over the last year or two, anybody, I don't care who it is. I don't care what your political affiliation is or your religious affiliation. You know, it's wrong. People are hurting and you, we, sh we should not be exploiting their pain. We, we should not be exploiting not their, be pain. Exploiting um, their pain. Hmm. Yes. Right? We shouldn't be exploiting their pain. So if you mm, look at a place you. like San Francisco, one of the big problems they have out there is homelessness. And one of the issues they were having is people were going to the bathroom on the sidewalks. I, I, I read, I, I wasn't out there and seeing all this, but I've talked to people who have. You've got people excreting on the sidewalks. What does San Francisco do to resolve it? They create jobs that you can be in the excrement picker-upper. And with benefits and this and that, I've heard the jobs are like $125,000 a year. That's a good uh, another indication of treating the symptoms and not the diagnosis. I'm sorry, nobody wants to be using the sidewalk as a bathroom. Nobody wants to do that. I wrote, I was in New York a, a bunch of years ago. If people go to my website, you can just go to bobpath.com and you can read this blog. And it's about homelessness. My father was homeless. So this is something that's near and dear to me. And I was walking down Madison Avenue and I looked over and there was a homeless man carrying a sign. But he was sitting down. He wasn't standing on the sidewalk. He wasn't holding it up. He wasn't in the median strip on the street. He was holding it and sitting down. So people were walking by and not even seeing him. And I looked over and, and my immediate reaction was he's embarrassed. You know, how did I get here kind of thing? And I pulled out my phone at the time. It was a BlackBerry. And I wrote a blog. The homeless are just like me and you. This man is somebody's son. He's maybe probably somebody's father. He's maybe probably somebody's husband, somebody's brother. And yet he's there with this sign, like, how did I get here? You know, it, it's it's about humanity. We've got to be more humane. I mean, you talk about the soul, but we've got to be, nobody chooses a life of struggle or addiction or living in a, and you know, here's the other thing too, because I've spent time with people who work uh, with, I've had homeless people on my show. Everybody says, well, some of them don't want, they want to be there. They want to live out in the park. They want to live on a, park, on, a, on a bench. They want to live on a bus stop or over top of a subway grate. No, they don't. A lot of those people, and the percentages are there, a lot of those people are suffering from some form of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Why would anybody want to live over top of a subway grate wrapped up in a blanket on, on a New York City street? Why? Nobody's been able to give me a good reason for that because you're independent and free. No, you're not. You know, they're messing in their pants. They're begging for food. They're going through trash cans. They smell, they this, they that. But they're somebody's mother, father, sister, brother, daughter, son. It, 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 it is embarrassing and it's unconscionable to me, Tess, that in a country this rich with so much that we even have 
homelessness as a as a problem. It is shocking and appalling that we do. And I think for a lot of people, and again, I'm not going to talk which side of the political spectrum, you can draw your own conclusions. There are a lot of people that will write big checks and say, oh, I really feel sorry. Or they'll come out on social media or they'll come out or even mainstream media and they'll and they'll say, oh, I really feel sorry for those people. Here's a hundred dollars. Here's a million dollars or whatever. But I don't want them living next to me, you know, because I can go back to my mansion. I can go back to my penthouse. I can go back to my yacht. I can go back to whatever. But I've done something about it. There's so much more that I think we can do about it. And that's one of the things that I want to do. I'm not in a financial position to create this foundation by myself right now. I'm in a position to run it. I know what it needs to look like. And I'd love to create the prototype that we can take in other places. I pray every day to ask. I, I call myself a practicing Catholic, practicing to get better. But I pray every day that God gives me the resources and the connections and the stamina and the vision to do something better around mental health. I told you, Zach tried three times. He was sad. He was depressed. He was an amazing writer. He wrote really dark poetry, which landed him into a mental facility the first time. And I've talked to people that said, you know, Zach knows what you're doing and he supports it and this and that, whatever. Nobody wants to be in those places. And we've got to do, we've got to do a better job of it. Zach left two children. I have two grandchildren. My granddaughter will be 11 this year and my grandson will be six. Zach left two children that will never know their father. He'll never know his daughter's 16th birthday. He'll never see her go to her prom. He'll never walk her down the aisle. And that never is a permanent. It's a permanent. I can't bring him back. And some days I wake up. We talked about that. I wake up and I can, he would text me or call me and say, dad, have you had lunch? And it didn't matter if I'd taken the last bite of my lunch. I always said, no, I haven't had lunch. What do you want to do? Because it was just to spend that time with him and just to be with him, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so, but he was 33 years old. You know, I begged him to come live with me. I would have done anything. You would turn yourself inside out. I've often said, take me instead of him. You know, I've, I've lived a, a good life and he's young. He's got his future ahead of him. But until folks are committed to that, and that's where the mental illness, that's where the disease, that's where the altering of the brain chemistry comes into place. So if Jennifer's still listening, her fiance who killed himself, I don't know the circumstances other than she said he killed himself 18 months ago, was struggling with something. Maybe he was carrying some childhood trauma around. You know, shame, embarrassment tests. A lot of people who were molested as children by a family member, by a priest, by a nun, by by somebody in law enforcement or emergent, whatever, first responders, there's a lot of shame and guilt that goes with that. We carry those things. I never told my parents that I was molested by a priest. Wow. I never did. And I never really thought it was embarrassing. Now, the guy, it wasn't as bad as some other people had it, but this man should not have had his hand on me when I was 16 years old. I finally went forward and started talking about it. it obviously, it was a very long time ago, but a lot of people who had that trauma won't talk about it. They, they right. suppress it. We suppress it, right? right? We push it down. If I keep it away, I don't have to deal with it. If I keep it at arm's length, I don't have to deal with that reality, but you know, you know, in the work that you've done, it does come up. It plays out, played out in your second marriage. You know, and you that, refer that's to it what as the creates mirror. that separation from our wholeness. We're whole, but we that's have right. all that barriers, the shame. That's right. Guilt, that's right. Um, that's right. And, and we cannot feel that wholeness because that's it's covered right. up and we harden our heart. Right. Yes. Because we don't yes. want to get hurt again. And so we don't trust anybody and up to the point that we don't even trust ourselves. So what happens? We then become puppets to the very same 
institutions that makes us slaves. That's right. That's exactly slaves right. Slaves to the pharmaceutical, slaves to the drugs, because they make That's money right. off our suffering. You uh, said it. You said from it cradle from cradle to grave. Big Pharma will take care of you. Think about it, right? Because they want to keep you addicted. They want to keep you dependent. From cradle to grave, they've got the answer for you. They've got the pill for you. When I had COVID, when I was in the hospital, they would come into my room every morning. I'm not going to mention the hospital or anything else. People listening will probably know. But they would come in every morning with this little cup of pills. I'll never forget it. And and they, you know, I, I would take some of them. Uh, I'm telling you, they were all different sizes, and there were probably 10 of them. And I remember saying to the nurse one day, well, what's this one? And she said, well, it's for your cough. And I said, well, I don't have a cough. I didn't have a cough. It wasn't one of my symptoms. I didn't have a cough, didn't have a sore throat, didn't have a temperature. Uh, I had some abdominal pain and back pain. And that's, that was my only symptom. And I think I get hit more by the pneumonia than I did by, by COVID. They just wanted to take these pills, wanted me to take them just to take them. And finally, one nurse said, are you not going to take them? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, because I'll get in trouble. So I've got to like write it down that patient refused, patient declined. I said, I don't care what you have to write down. And finally, after a week, I told the, the doctor came in and I said, uh, by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow. You can't keep me. And you know that. And she said, you're right. And I said, well, my son's going to be here at three o'clock. So do whatever you need to do uh, to get the discharge papers together because I'm leaving because I was done. I was like, why am I here? You're not doing anything that you're not giving me. It, it was just... And that's, that's a large part of the system. It's run by business. It's not run by doctors. Let's be very clear. My ex-wife was a doctor. A lot of my friends are doctors. I sat on the board of two hospitals. Medicine is run by big business. So whether it's big pharma or it's venture capitalist or whatever, medicine is run by business. And it's all about the bottom line. People complain all the time. I get seven minutes with my physician. What are you going to do in seven minutes or nine minutes or whatever? You know, there's a crisis in healthcare, primary care. So you and I could go on and on. I know we've gone over the hour, but you get me on my soapbox of the things that we really, you know, listen, we spend trillions and trillions of dollars. This, this, this war in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, 20 years, the longest war. And there's no way we didn't win. We're not going to win. We're going to bail out of there. Think about the lives and the money and all that stuff. Think about what we could have done if we reallocated those resources, if those resources had gone to homelessness or mental health or whatever. We've got to start fixing the problem at its root and stop throwing Band-Aids at the symptoms. So that's a good bow for me to put around this whole thing. Yeah, yeah beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Um, I do want to collaborate with you on your okay. uh mental health foundation your solution however that looks like thank you uh, and okay. really solve that problem from the level of actually self-love that's right that, that's that right really is the solution to the self-love that's right uh, self-love i agree we've made self-love wrong again we there are so many forces that is disconnecting us from each other that's making right each other wrong and then that guilt we're, we're you know, bombarded we, by it aren't we and yeah. it takes us off course they're there you know the objective is to keep knocking you off course take you off course you're exactly right right you've got and to be our, really strong to do this stuff Tess. you've got this is not this is not work for sissies i mean this is tough stuff and right. um and we've got I'm to come not together. one to work directly with them but definitely be there uh, yeah. and 
and really collaborate the real solution That's to right. this. You and I, and many of us who are listening, soul-powered yeah. leaders, I call you, let's get together and create yes. Because the government is not going to do it for us. We, no. I'm going to repeat it. We have been deeply betrayed by leaders. And we need more leaders yes. to stand up from the level of soul. And we Agreed. might not know what that is. What is that? What is that level of soul? Yeah. And I am willing to hold hands with everyone who's listening yeah. to find out Thank what you. that looks like. I agree. Well, we've got Jill. Jill Jill Hartley brought us together, right? So yes. Jill and, uh, yes. and Jill's Jill. in Australia. Jill's in Australia, I know. Hey, Jill, right? So there you go. Uh, yeah. Hi, Jill. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jill knows how passionate I am about this. She reached out to me immediately and said, you've got to do Tessa's show. So this was wonderful. I'm, I'm delighted to do it. I'm honored. Uh, and I feel very privileged to chat with you about this because, again, if we reach one, 100, 1,000, 1 million people, then they spread the word and it goes on. And this is how we're going to do it. I'm all about grassroots. I'm all about organic. Yeah. And that's what it's yeah. going to take. It's going to take that that level of commitment uh, to make this change. But we've got to do it because where we're headed is bad news. Feel. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind. Take back your voice. Take back your soul. Take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.